Hi, this is Stephanie Pavlantos. Thank you for joining me with Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Today, my guest is Rebecca Cruz. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, and so Rebecca is a writer and an author and the owner of Audience of One Creations. And Rebecca had this quote on her website, and I wanted to just share it because I really liked it. And she wrote that one of her greatest joys is teaching the body of Messiah the beauty of God's word in a way that encourages all to deep dive and not be intimidated. And I thought that was excellent because that sounds so much like what how I feel about teaching God's word. So, but I look forward to our conversation. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah, so do you want to explain a little bit about what Audience of One Creations is? Sure. Um, Audience of One Creations was birthed in my heart decades ago, but it just came to be around 2017. Mm -hmm. But it it was always, I have a creative mind. So I'm always thinking about visual things and kind of things that we can do or through music. I play the piano and just different ways that you can express your faith, kind of express Mm -hmm. this relationship and this journey that we're on, right, to get to know God. And so Audience of One Creations, I gave it that name because I always wanted to keep accountability that my first audience is him. Right. He's happy. I'm happy. And then we can keep moving. So through Audience of One Creations, I've been able to create books and, you know, apparel and, and home decor and different resources that I'm working on to add to the to the store as well that are all just meant to be opportunities to connect with God in some way. And so I love, um, I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about my t-shirts and she said to me, oh, they're your seat seats. And I was like, I never thought about that before. And she's like, they're, you know, they're your reminder. And I said, yeah, because sometimes I'll be wearing my shirt and and I'm literally putting on because it's the clean thing in my closet, you know, <laughs> for any other reason, but I put it on and I may be going through something or I'm stressed out about something I'm trying to get done or whatever. And I'll look down and it says, if which means I will trust in you. Mm. And I, and it centers me back to what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for and, and whose trust I put my, you know, who I put my trust in. Mm. And so that helps me. And I said, yeah, they are my seat seats, you know, and in a way let's, you know, keep it mm-hmm. in class or whatever, but it's a reminder. And so those are the things that I kind of enjoy creating for the body. Mm-hmm. And if you want to explain those seat seats, because those are the, the, the fringes, the fringes, that's the word I was looking for. Yes. The fringes that, that, that the scriptures tell us, you know, that we should keep on our clothing and they're supposed to be reminders. They're supposed to be the thing that kind of takes us back to his word and the kind of things that keeps us on the path as we journey life, you know, with all and they really can be, They were very specific in the days of Jesus. They were those fringes that were on the bottom of the, the robe that, that the woman with the issue of blood would have right. taught touched and and laid her hands on um but they had to have blue in them and that could to remind them of of uh i guess god and and israel and so but it's very interesting but you bring up a really good point because i guess it can be almost anything that keeps our focus on his word and who he is that was just a reminder that they set up for themselves and that the men wore and i'm not saying that women can't but I see more men wear something right. like that than women, but yeah, but I think that's a great thing to have something, even if it's some kind of like necklace that you would wear that 
that keeps you in tune and remind you every time you look at it of God's word or a promise of his. And it's really, it's really just an example of the way God uses everything in the word as just tools and principles that are supposed to just help us to come back to him, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. so all the feasts are just like that. His word is like that. They're all seat seats in a way, you know, when we celebrate the feasts, they're all seat seats. They're all just tools and resources and things that God uses to connect us back to him in some way or form because he's so multifaceted. There's so many different parts of him. So he uses different things for us to connect to him. That's excellent. That's true. That's excellent. Cause I never thought about the feast as being that way, but it is. I mean, and I think that's what we miss out on in growing up in the church, the significance of the feast. And I was telling you earlier, you know, it's not a burden to keep the feast. It's like having Thanksgiving seven more times a year, but it's, you know, because I mean, I don't make special food. I I don't try to mimic all the Jewish food. I just, I can't do it. I I just prefer to just like make our family favorites that I would make if I were celebrating Thanksgiving or some other holiday. Um, All my family's just like special foods that we like to eat um, maybe a few times a year, but, but it's just family. Of course it's God, family and friends. And it's just, celebrating who God is just like we would celebrate Jesus birth. It's, it's seven other times to celebrate who God is and what he did for us and to remember. Yeah. And to remember Zakar. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's so important to kind of, for example, I grew up in the church. My parents were missionaries. So I, I came out of the womb and I was, in the front row. Like that's where I was. I was the annoying kid in Sunday school answering all the questions. Mm -hmm. So, so coming into Torah in this way and and getting that deeper understanding of the word, it just, it was the natural next step. When I discovered it, it kind of filled like these mental lagoons that I had, you know, because I love Superbook. I was like, if I could go back in time, I would go back to Bible time. Like that was my thing. Oh yeah. But there's a lot of mental lagoons because we're so far removed culturally and in language and just time, you know, all that kind of stuff. So so coming to Torah, it just started filling in the pieces that were kind of like, you know, missing. Mm-hmm. And then when we celebrate the feast, maybe now it's taken me. I've been in this walk over 20 years. And up until recently, I still didn't anticipate some of the feasts just because I didn't grow up doing it. And it would be like. Oh my God, tomorrow's Passover and I didn't clean out the, the, the yeast. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got to run, you know, and do this stuff. And that's just part of our journey. That's part of our learning. You didn't grow up with it. Okay, great. You do what you can with what you have. And when you know more and you can do better, you do better, you know? Exactly. And so it's not trying to appropriate something else that is not part of who I am. This is part of who I am. The Bible is part. God's word and his promises are part. That's my inheritance. I just have to learn. If you look in the Jewish world today, you'll see that the Jews in Morocco celebrate way different than the Jews in Israel, way different than the Jews in in Iraq, way different than the Jews in Ethiopia, way different than the Jews here in the United States, because we all have different cultural things that we do that doesn't mean that we're not all celebrating the same thing. We just put our little twist on it. Yeah. Our cultural differences. And, and that's the beauty I think of when, and you know, 
sometimes when I talk to people, you know, they want to say the first and the second covenant, but I look at it as all as one. Um, it's just that the covenant and I, and I don't even want to sound all inclusive by saying God's covenant with Israel was only Israel, because I believe that he did offer it to the nations and, and even like they're, the people that sojourned with them kept those, they, they included them in all their, their feasts and everything else. So I don't want to make it sound like anybody was uninvited, <laughs> but, but I think when we think of the renewed covenant or the new Testament with, with Yeshua, the Messiah, that it's, it it was including now he's inviting all the Gentiles to come in and do and be one with Israel and one in this whole country, in a sense, nation that he had set apart. Now we're part of that and we're set apart with them. And and it's being invited to do everything because mm-hmm. we are now considered we're his people. We're his people too. Um, and we may not have the title chosen people, but we still are chosen because he still loves each and every one of us the same way he loves. It's not a, they're the favorite child. It's not like that. It's we're all equal. And it's just that he chose them to, to work through first to spread his message through the nations. So I think that's the way we kind of have to look at it. 100%. But, but. He also allows us to keep and to keep those things that distinguish us from nation to nation. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. If you look at scripture and you look from the very beginning, everyone was always invited. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everyone was always invited. That wasn't something new that happened in Matthew 1. Right. It's always been there. It's always been a part of the story. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that he gave Israel the tools and the words to walk it out mm-hmm. and to be the example for others. Somebody has to start it. Yeah. He, he could have picked. And, 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 and the, the Bible is really clear that when God speaks to Israel, he says, I didn't pick you because you were super special and super holy and you kind of, you know, floated on the air or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. I picked you because you were the smallest. You were the most insignificant. I just picked you because I picked you. It's almost like when you look at a marriage and you look at a husband and wife, it doesn't mean that the husband's here, the wife is here. They're the same. They just have different functions. Mm-hmm. That's it. They have different responsibilities and different functions. Israel plays a role in, in everything that's happening. That doesn't mean that we're not invited to the party. We're right. all and, and that's such a great point because immediately I thought of how different we are with our firstborn than we are. Maybe different is the wrong word, but the traditions we start with our firstborn, we carry on with everything and then we get better and better at things as, you know, and not that God has that issue. Let's face it. He doesn't have that perfection issue that we do of trying to perfect something. And maybe by the last kid, we'll have a doubt. He doesn't have that issue. But but whatever we start with that first child, we okay, we like this. Let's keep implementing this. Let's let's do this. And that's kind of how I look. He was like kind of their firstborn nation and, and everything he worked through them. It was, it was almost a practice for them, for us in a sense. I mean, um, not God's practice, but their practice. And if anything, I think that we should be really appreciative of them 
because the firstborn always gets it the roughest, don't they? Yeah, they do. They get all the bumps and bruises and, and you do all the figuring out with them. And like you said, it gets better <laughs> as yeah. it goes along. The most strict with your firstborn, then you kind of relax. As you go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and so I think we should be appreciative of, of what they've done if they had not been so strict to keep rules and regulations and all these things that they do and, and their practices we would have no idea how we're supposed to walk this out. Right. You know, and we're still learning. They're still learning. We're all learning, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's, it's really, I think a paradigm shift of, of looking at Israel and being like, Oh, f-, and just looking at God, mm-hmm. and God, what do you want from me? What do you right. want? How do you want me to walk? And then look at scripture through that lens instead of deciding it has to, I have to do everything like they're doing it because if not, it's wrong. That's not, right. That's and that's not a lot of intended. Yeah, that's not what he ever intended, I don't think, at all. Yeah. My husband and I, when we were talking about Yom Kippur and and you know, I do a lot of research, so I I know these, you know, I read up on things and, and understand them, but he does not do that. So he kind of relies on me to tell him only because not that he can't do it, but he's a he's a very physical worker. You know, he loves to he'd rather be out in the garden all day than at a computer reading about, you know, the feast or anything else. But um, so I was trying to explain certain things to him and, you know, and he had a lot going on on Yom Kippur. Well, it's the most solemn day and it's kind of the day that you really rest and, and they talk about denying yourself. And so I didn't do any of the things I usually do. I, you know, I didn't turn the TV on. I didn't turn my computer on. I didn't do any of those things. And, and halfway through the day, you know, I'm like, why are you sitting there on your computer? Why are you making phone calls? Why are you ordering things? And, and he's like, when do I get them all done? You know? And I'm like, and he goes, he, he, you know, and he felt attacked and I'm like, Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. We're all learning this. I have to be as patient with you as God is with me. And I just have to, okay. Yeah. Just forget. I said anything. We'll just every year. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just try to get better every year as we grow more and understand more and and press into the Lord. What do you want me to do on this day? Um, and so then I once I took the pressure off of him, then everything just was. But I was pressured to do it the right way. You know, like we got to do it this way. And um, but I, it was wrong of me to make him feel bad because God wasn't making him feel badly. You know, so who am I <laughs> to do that? So, um, but it's a learning process. It's just. It is. It is. I mean, I'll, here, I'll confess something to you. So this Yom Kippur, I was actually in the hospital with my son. I had to take mm. him to the emergency room for something. He's much better, thank God. But the next morning we had had a late dinner just because we had come out of the hospital. And then the next morning we were so tired. I was cleaning up the kitchen the next morning. And so I'm cleaning up and there was a plate that had some leftover food on it. And so I'm cleaning and I'm cleaning and I would walk past and I'd put pieces and I'm cleaning and I'd walk past and I'd do And about like the 10th time, and it was like these little, like little crummy things. Like, you know, it wasn't anything big. It was just, I'd come like, and I'm cleaning. And all of a sudden I go, oh, I'm supposed to eat these <laughs> And then I said, okay, give yourself grace. It wasn't on purpose. Just stop. And carry on, you know. Right. Some other times I've been like, ah, you know, and beating myself on the chest, but but I didn't intentionally do it, you know. And and the the fact of the matter is that what God is is calling us is to afflict our ourselves before Him, 
And when he talks about it, he's like, you know, I'm not interested in you fasting for the sake of fasting. The whole point is to draw you closer to me so that you can fix the things that are going on in here that nobody else sees and we can get ourselves right with each other. So you just have a little grace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back, I mean, and this is like totally off topic of what we talked about, but the Lord woke me up and kind of was dropping some things into my mind. And so, and one of them was when, when I was reading in one of my Bibles, it's called the Jewish study Bible. And the, the way it's worded in Leviticus 23 is to deny yourself. Well, instantly my mind went to the new Testament in the, when Jesus, both in Matthew and Luke said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And I thought, that is how we do Yom Kippur on a daily basis mm-hmm. by picking up our cross, denying ourselves and following him. That is to me right then in that moment, that was Yom Kippur in Jesus words in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, how cool is that? I just, I just found it in the New Testament. You you remind me so much of, if you've ever heard the Bayma podcast, mm-hmm. one of Marty Solomon's favorite things to say is, if you're looking at the New Testament, where have I seen that before? Mm-hmm. Because it's all over there. So making that connection, that's a perfect example yeah. of what he's talking about. And that's and that is the whole point of the feast. That is the whole point of why God did these things. There are seat seats. They remind us and they say make connections and be like, oh, okay. And if you've kind of skirted off the path a little bit, it kind of smacks you back in line yeah. to continue walking. That's, that's it. Right. And keep it moving. Right. And denying ourselves is not just a food. It's it's no. of our selfish tendencies, our pride, our arrogance, our desires that are ungodly. Um, there's so much. Just we're selfish people by nature. We grow up as toddlers. It's all about me and no. What what's so easy to learn? The first word we learn, no. <laughs> you know, and and we're we're no different. We just grow up and say it different ways, but we're still saying no to what we don't want, and mm-hmm. and I want this, and throwing our tan- temper tantrums, and and that is, I think, where it's denying yourself comes from. Um, involves saying, you know, stop saying no, say yes to the Lord when He asks you something, despite whether you want to do it or not, despite whether you like it or not, say yes to him um say no to the world say yes to him you know um just don't throw your tantrums don't be selfish don't be so full of yourself in so many different ways that we are so it's it's denying all that flesh every day exactly so but anyway let's get back to one of the things that you love to talk about and one of those things um is what we've been doing kind of right now, but the Hebrew culture, the language and the history, and you like to bring those things out when you're teaching. Um, and so we, we came up with just even a few, just in our conversation. So what would you add to that maybe, or what other examples or how else would you explain that? So, so for me, I feel like context is everything. If you're going to look at scripture, Mm -hmm. context is everything. The easiest thing to do is to cherry pick verses and you can basically say whatever you want. Right. And you can say something that is absolutely contrary to anything that God ever said or intended. Mm -hmm. So being able to look at the scripture and look at it through the right lens. And when I say the right lens, I mean, I mean, I have to sit there and think, 
what was the person that was hearing this the first time? What was their context? What what situation were they living in? How closely can I get to that to be a, better understand what was being said at the time? You know, mm-hmm. and we have issues with language, culture, you know, time. Everything is so different. And so one of the the names of of the attributes of God, which is which I talk about in my books, one of them is El Eric Apayim. And we talked about this a little bit um, where El Eric Apayim, what it means is the God of all patience and consolation. Right. And when you break down that name, what it really means is the God of long nostrils. And if you read that, so if you were to read like the translator, you'd be like, what does that mean? Like, right. What? And what it means is, is that when a person is angry, you know, they kind of inhale and they huff and, you know, there's, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of things that are happening. And, and when you look at the, the Hebrew language in and of itself, it's a very action-based verb-based language. Mm-hmm. Everything has to do with something that they could see, something that they could experience and they could understand. Mm-hmm. So when you have this picture, this mental picture, then that God is somebody with long nostrils, that means it takes a long time for him to gather that breath before he huffs and puffs in anger. And so what it's talking about is he's very slow. He's patient. He's slow to anger. We see so many scriptures, right? It's mm-hmm. throughout that talk about him being slow to anger, his patience with us. And if God is patient with anybody, let me tell you that if <laughs> I would be like right in the front of the line, <laughs> but you know, he's very patient with us and he's understanding a lot more understanding, I think, than we are with ourselves. And so I was, when I was thinking about that, and you have this, immediately you got a picture in your mind mm-hmm. of this person with a very long nose. But what's interesting about that is that if you don't have the right context, if you think about it in English, the first person you would think about is Pinocchio. Nice. And who was Pinocchio? He was characterized by having a long nose, which made it, and it talked about him being a liar. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not anything to do with God. That would be co- completely contrary and right. out of place. But in the context of the Hebrew culture, what it's talking about is somebody slow to anger, somebody who's patient, somebody who takes the time to understand, somebody who allows you the space to be able to grow and mature in your faith and in your walk. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is a really great example of why it's so important to have context. Why is it so important to pay attention and not look through it through the eyes of a 21st century Latina that, that, you know, has nothing to do with, with, you know, first century Israel or, or, or BC, you know, Israel at the time when, when they were talking about it, you know, and I think that's the same for all of us. Mm -hmm. So I, I really enjoy being able to take the time to like kind of break down scripture and look at it and say, okay, well, what did that mean for them? I know what it means for me right now, but is it the same as what it meant for them? And and oftentimes you'll find out that you'll get a lot of surprises mm-hmm. that really enrich the word and kind of make it exciting. It's almost like like a secret code that you're learning, you know, stuff yeah. that you didn't even realize was there on those pages. And, and the word just comes alive. It really does. Mm-hmm. And I was reading something about um, even the number 40, because when I was in Exodus, you know, you have Moses was 40 when he left Egypt. He was 80 when the Lord called him. And then he was 120 when he died. So that's three events, yeah. 40 years of 40 years. And 
And then he was, you know, twice he spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, 40 days and 40 nights. And then they roamed for 40 years on in the wilderness. So I was like, what is all with all these 40s? And so, and the same thing, you know, Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, he was fasting and praying. And, and, um, and it actually came up that in the Hebraic, and you probably know this, but it was like a signal of moving on to the next step. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of anything in our own lives where maybe something happened at 40, because I can certainly think of something that happened around my 40s and it was the Lord moving you to the next higher step. Mm-hmm. And every time Moses was being, this is the next step. This is the next step in your your work for me and your own personal growth. And it can be 40 years, 40 days, 40 minutes. I don't know. I mean, anything of that kind of number. And I, and that's part of dealing with the context and understanding why that number is significant. And it doesn't even have to be real 40 from what I've heard. They can use it just because of what the number means to show this was the next step. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Cause now that I'm thinking about it right around my forties was when, um, I have I have um uh an issue with sleeping. And when I sleep, I sleep like the dead. Like mm. nothing is going to wake me up. There's nothing <laughs> I'm just out. And so when I was sleeping one day, I woke up in the middle of the night, which is unheard of for me. And I was sleeping on one side like this, you know, with my hand on my and and I turned up and I said, There's been a shift, there's a shift happening. And I went right back to sleep. That was it. And I knew that in the spiritual realm, in in the heavens, in something, in in my experience and in my time with God, something happened. And that's right around when the book started coming out. And that's right around when everything started shifting. And all of this, I had been learning all of these things for so many years. And now is all starting to come to the forefront where I was sharing it with other people. You know, I, I, I was kind of just taking it all in for so long yeah. and now I've come the time to start sharing and giving tidbits and kind of like, you know, inching out like a turtle and saying, okay, look, I want to talk about this. Like, you know, is anybody willing to listen or do you want to have a conversation? And that's kind of where it happened. And it's right around, right around the age of 40 where, mm-hmm. where that started to happen. So that, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what you're saying in, in not just the culture and history, but also the language because their numeric system is so closely tied with their, their word and number. And I should say alphabet system. So um, yeah, it's very interesting. I think just to put all those things together and you get just such a wider view. Of what's and, and I think that that's what makes, we we live in a context. I love to think of this idea and I love, and I'm always talking about it. I love to think about the idea that God is a God of the collective, but he's also a God of the individual. Mm-hmm. He's also very much aware of what's happening to us personally mm-hmm. and also us as a body, you know, right. and excuse me, and the changes that we're going through and what we're walking through. But he's also able to see me in the midst of that. You know, and I find that so beautiful because it lets me know that I matter in this fast world. Mm -hmm. You know, we're literally a blip. We're a blip on the timeline of life, you know, but he notices that blip and he thinks that that blip is important. 
and he makes space and time for us and he comes very near, you know? And so those are the things that, that really encourage me when, when life doesn't exactly go as planned, you know, and we're walking through things. And so being able to understand those concepts and being able to see God and then take that and say, okay, if that's my paradigm, if that's the way that I'm looking at God and I know that he loves me, I know that he's good. And I know that scripture tells me that he wants me to search him out and that he wants to have a relationship with me. What is the best way that I can do that? If you as a man or as a woman are pursuing some someone, you know, to have a relationship with, you look for the things that make them happy. You look for the things that you can share in common. You look for the things that you can kind of enjoy together. Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that? Well, he he left me the plan in his word. I just have to understand it to the best of my ability. And so all of these resources that we can pull in, learning about their culture, learning about the language, learning about the history of what was happening at that time, all of those things are just helping us love him better. Right. No. Right. Yeah. And so many good points there. But but the main thing is just, you know, if we could truly tell people one thing, I mean, besides Jesus' name and who he is, but that you matter, you know, I don't think people hear that enough. You matter. And in God's world of billions of people, he still sees you. He knows everything about you. And the Bible says he knows every hair on your head. He knows every bit of pain you have experienced, every bit of rejection, every bit of trauma and woundedness. He knows, he knows your favorite color. He knows your favorite pet. He knows the name of, you know, like every single thing that you love and hate. He knows about it. And, and yet he doesn't condemn you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And I mean, you know, if you could just get everybody to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but we, we kind of cloud it all up with our own issues mm-hmm. instead of just, this is, this is the black and white of everything. He loves you. He loves you so much. Um, And it's, it's not about me. It's not about what you've done. It's not about, he knows who you will be. He knows who you were. I mean, there's nothing he doesn't know, but yet he still loves you. And I think that if we were able to look at the scriptures and look at his word and say, this supreme being thinks I'm important enough to have a relationship with. Yeah. All the things that he could be doing, he determined that it's important enough to spend time with me and to establish a relationship. I want all of the tools and I want to know all of the things. Right. And connect with him better. And if learning, you know, context and if learning language and if learning all these things are going to help me to do that, I am all for it. Mm -hmm. I'm all for it. You know, it, 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 it makes a difference when, I tell my son, like he has a girlfriend and I say, and I say, you know, what do you have to offer? You know, some parents are are concerned with like, oh, is that that other person good enough for my son or good enough for my daughter? And I tend to look at it. I'm like, what do you have to offer her? I said, because if you don't have anything to offer her, a smile gets old really quick. (laughs) You know, you have to make effort. You have to make the effort to get to know her. You have to make the effort to show that you're interested. That's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do in our walk with God. I'm interested. I'm here. I want to know. I want to get closer, you know, going back to this idea that you're talking about and that we've been discussing about God being interested in us. 
I was mentioning to my son last night, we were, had a long discussion. It was a good one. And, um, and I said to him, you know, I remember this was about 10, 15 years ago. I was laying down on an afternoon, like on the weekend on my bed and I was watching TV. My mom was laying down next to me and she was watching with me. And I was watching TV, but inside I was, there was turmoil and I was having a conflict and I was talking to God and I was not happy. And I said to God, I said, I wish I was like so-and-so. They seem so meek and they seem so nice and they're always so kind of pleasant and easygoing and everything. I'm not like that, God. And I wish that I was like that, but I'm not like that. And I was so distressed about that because I felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A couple of moments after I got a phone call and the phone call was from a woman from my congregation who was my mother's age. So she was very good friends with my mother. I knew who she was and we, you know, we talked and everything, but we didn't have like a close relationship or anything. So it wasn't normal for her to be calling me. Mm -hmm. And so she calls me and she says, listen, I was praying and God gave me a word for you. So I just have to share it with you. I said, okay. And I said, yes. And she said, God told me to tell you that he made you exactly the way that you are. That he needed you to be who you are. And so he made you that way. And that he loves you. I just started bawling. It's not hard for me to do it anyway. But I just started bawling. Because I said. Oh, he listens. Yes. Listening to me. Mm-hmm. I hadn't said anything to anyone. I know. He knew, yeah. And he listened. And so I just want to encourage. You know those that are listening right now. The, all the things that we talk about and all of these things that we point out and, and these, these, these different resources and all these things that we're saying, they're simply to be there to help you to connect with the one that thinks that you're important enough to have a relationship with. Yeah. And it is, I mean, you made me think of two of the same story, similar story, I should say, but, um, there were things I was praying about and I, I hadn't even told my husband. I hadn't told anybody the things that I was crying literally just crying to the Lord about. And I got a phone call from a woman I didn't know, but she was a Facebook friend. So she called me on messenger. Mm-hmm. Okay. I haven't talked to that woman at all. I think she had put some things on messenger to, you know, one, a couple of times, but then she suddenly just calls me and I looked down and usually I won't answer the phone if I don't know the person, but I decided to pick up the call and it was like, it was almost as if she were there. She was there when I was praying. And she started telling me the things I was praying for. And she, and, and she told me again, because it was a God thing. And she said, um, God brought you to my mind. And, and this is what he wanted me to tell you. And I was bawling just like you, because it's like, did you know yeah, it's like and you know i've never heard from that woman again mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, he used her to tell me that he he knew you know he knew all about those tears he knew all about that desire he knew all about that pain and and he's and the and basically it was just that it will be right one day mm-hmm. it'll all be right and we just need that little bit of reassurance, right? Then you feel like, oh, I have a million bucks in the bank. I can just go and yeah. do what I have to do. You know, like, it, it, and those little moments are the ones that are so important, you know? Yeah. And and so anything that we can do to encourage that kind of environment, that kind of experience, that kind of relationship, mm-hmm. 
that's where we need to be in the center of that, in the center of that, you know? It is. It's good. So tell me a little bit um, about your book. Tell um, our listeners, because I think this book of yours that is behind you is excellent. And I, I want people to know about that. So uh, Awesomely Distinguished happened after a cousin of mine who got pregnant later in life, um, after my son had already been born, was showing me some of her gifts that she had gotten at a uh, baby shower. And one gift in particular of everything that she got was some handwritten notes that a family member had written with just little blessings for the baby. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I would have loved to have that when I was pregnant, you know, and especially as a first time mom, you're often just thinking it has to have 10 fingers, 10 toes. It needs to be breathing. It needs to see like we're thinking about the physical things that are happening. And in my case, my my pregnancy was very difficult, very, very difficult. I was bedridden for most of it. And so you're just concerned with the the natural, the physical and everything. But then seeing that, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, the the magnitude of becoming a parent kind of hits you, especially Mm -hmm. after they're born. You know, and especially after they grow up a little bit and now you can't just confine them to a bassinet or to a playpen. Now right. they're out in the world and your your concerns change and, and you're thinking about this person that, that is coming to be and growing into their own person. And so awesomely distinguished of born. And the way that the title came about was that I was reading an article for the study, you know, to, to figure out the book. And it was based on Psalm 139, which has the phrase, you know, that's so common, the fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Um, portion of the verse and the professor was talking about how fearfully and wonderfully made is an adequate translation but that a closer translation to the original language the original hebrew is awesomely distinguished and it goes back to that idea that we are unique that mm-hmm. god broke the mold when he made us and that we mm-hmm. each have a story we each have a purpose we each, he has a plan for each and every one of us and so what the book does it's, it's a journal that takes the mother through the pregnancy period and is able to um, highlight different character traits that you would like to promote and help to establish in your child. So, for example, being a good steward of the land, being a good steward with money, um, having a tender heart to hear God, you know, kindness, grace, all these different facets of, of our being that you kind of want to say, hey, this is what. I want for you. And so it takes you through a, a blessing that you're able to pray over the baby it kind of gives you like a guideline, but there's also a section where you can actually write. And for me, it was thinking about when God spoke to Hannah, when God spoke to Sarah, when God spoke to all of these different women in the scriptures, who better is God going to talk about than mom and dad, you know, when, when, when they're going through this period. And so that when they're older and they graduate high school, college, they get married, they're going to be a parent themselves. You can say, this is what God was saying to me when I was pregnant with you, you know, and they have that legacy piece, that that piece that they can carry with them. And the other part of it is that it takes you through the character traits of God that are seen in Hebrew that we miss out oftentimes Mm -hmm. in our translations of the scriptures. We don't readily see it. And so it takes you through those attribute names. It gives you the translation of what it means. It gives you scripture and it gives you a little blur but you know like a little devotional piece that you can read so that you introduce that baby that child to God's presence and to who God is from the womb Mm -hmm. you begin that relationship then instead of them having to wait further down the line when when life has already beaten them up a little bit and then they're trying to undo a lot of the things that they've learned and stuff so it begins the process from early on and takes you through that whole period Mm. 
That's interesting. Very cool. That sounds so good. And, um, it's a beautiful book. And you, you had mentioned, um, you have another, like a devotional that's come, that's already out that's coming yes. out for adults yes. right here. It's, um, but it's very colorful community. and beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that I got as feedback when I did the first book was, I love that, but I'm not pregnant or that's not in, you know, I already had kids, right. or whatever the situation is. Exactly. <laughs> you know. And, um, and, but I would really love the information about the attribute traits of God and the names and stuff. And so establishing his name was born, which is really just exploring the width and depth of God's character. Just we can't know God in his totality. You know, we know slivers a little bits, but being able to just sit in that and explore that and see how does that manifest in my life? How do I see that around me? You know, where do I learn from that? for how I'm supposed to behave. That's right. kind of what this, this devotional does. And I didn't do it with days in mind, like, you know, 30 days or 10 days or, you know, anything like that, because oftentimes when you do deeper work like this and you start discovering things about God, you realize that God sometimes will make you sit in something for a little while mm-hmm. while you deal with the things that pop up and come up right. from it. And so it just really is a space for you. It gives you a space to write it gives you some prompts to think about, and it gives you a piece that talks about um, God's sign language in there, yes. which is like, where do I see this in my daily life? How does this show up? How do I express this? How do I see God behaving in this manner or manifesting this and showing this to me in my life? And it gives you prayer prompts and stuff like that to just kind of walk through, you know, this, this discovery and this, this exploration of who God is beautiful book so well thank you i i have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today and doing um your wealth of information and knowledge and so i appreciate that about you thank you i've enjoyed it thoroughly it's been fun and i will send people to your website and to your books so thank you i appreciate that that. thank you have a great weekend you too you too I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.